First Corinthians, the eighth chapter. Last week we got our discussion uh, ended in looking at verse one through three, and we're going to see as we continue here that Paul, his main teaching is on love, because that's the basis by which we deal with a weaker brother. Let me bring us up to uh, verse 4 where our study begins this evening. He says in verse 1, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. But what does knowledge do? It merely puffs up. But love edifies. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him, or known by God. And so, uh, love is the basis of being known by God. That's about where we ended last week. It's the proof that I love the weaker brother also. If I love God, it's proof that I uh, love the weaker brother. Uh, it edifies both the weaker brother and me. And it should guide every decision that I make about the weaker brother. And so in dealing with a weaker brother, I don't go to him with uh, the knowledge that I have necessarily. I go to him out of love. And then love makes known what needs to be made known. But love is the basis of it. We don't go to a brother as though we were puffed up and knows everything and wants to argue with him. We don't do that. Our love for a brother will make us reason delicately and carefully with him. And so, uh, not knowledge alone, a matter of fact, knowledge should guide me. Knowledge should bring me to the, uh, to the love that guides me. And that's what love does. Uh, knowledge is a means to this love that should guide every decision that I make. And in this text, it's about the weaker brother and dealing with him. Now, a proud man will go to the weaker brother and with a grin on his face, and he will present what's true, all right, but he doesn't do it with love. And he destroys that weaker brother because he's, he's self-centered. He's egotistical. He wants to show that he knows something. And he don't care about that weaker brother. And so Paul is teaching about love for a weaker brother here and how, how love is the basis from which we deal with a weaker brother. Uh, so tonight we come to some questions. Uh, how are we going to deal with a brother who thinks it's a sin to eat meat sacrificed to idols? Now, I haven't brought it out yet, but this weaker brother at that time in Corinth, he believed in many gods. And that's why Paul in this text a little later on down here will say that we have the knowledge that there's one God. They're not two, they're not three. But this fellow eating, uh, sees you eating meats to idols, it 
uh, it prones to leave, lead him off because he believes in many gods. That was the Athenian philosopher's uh, uh, concept in Acts 17. And so, uh, we're, uh, how are we going to deal with this brother? There's several options, and I'll present them here. Uh, are we going to avoid him, number one? Are we going to shun him, number two? Are we going to call him a dummy, number three? Well, that's what knowledge does. Knowledge puffs up. Love edifies. And Paul's already brought that out in those first three verses. Uh, what are we going to do with this weaker brother? Are we going to rebuke him because he's so ignorant? Are we going to write him up in the bulletin as one of our legalistic brothers? I mean, what are we going to do with this guy uh, that actually believes that it's a sin to eat meat sacrificed to idols? That's what makes him the weaker brother. He don't understand. And you have a right to eat that meat because you understand that meat's for the belly and belly's for the meat. And so if you buy a piece of meat in the market that's been offered on the idols, you're buying it for your belly, aren't you? But he don't know that. And he sees you buying that meat in the temple, he's going to wonder about that. And you can lead him astray, but if you love him, what do you do? You take him into consideration, and you don't let him see you buy that meat. You do it in private until he comes to learn better. So everybody knows the idol is nothing. Everybody knows that. Now that's been our approach to a weaker brother uh, through my lifetime. Uh, to look at him and say that that guy's stupid he don't know nothing that's not love speaking there at all that's not the approach of love but that's the way we approach our brothers sometimes we avoid them we stand off from them if they're different in their thinking than we are we shouldn't be that way they're a brother and if we love God we'll love our brother won't we all right. Uh, is there no help for the stupid? Is there no help for the ignorant? Well, certainly there is. To know and to love God is to be known and, and loved by Him. And that's going to be our uh, conclusion. Now let us read this text here. Uh, what does knowledge do? It puffs up. What does love do? It builds up. Uh, now here's some rules that come out of uh, uh, that discussion there in verse 1 through 3. There are some instructions given based on the necessity of love. So verse 4 he says, So then, about eating meat sacrificed to idols. Now that's twice that he said that. The first time he said it in verse 1 was to introduce the fact that something <coughs> is needed other than knowledge. Something's needed here in dealing with this problem other than knowledge. Because we all know that meat is for the belly and belly is for the meat. But this fellow don't. 
The second time that he mentioned that statement is to talk about what love-guided knowledge should do about meat sacrificed to idols. And so here's knowledge being uh, imputed to this fellow or dis uh, taught to this fellow out of the basis of love for him. Not a, out of the basis of being proud and haughty like you knew something, but he didn't. All right, so the, uh, the first is concept. That's verse 1 and 3. That's the concept he's dealing with. The second is conduct in verse 4 through 13. What's our conduct? And so we get the concept in 1 3, and then uh, uh, knowledge must be guided by love. That's the concept. And here's the conduct, verse 4. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. They don't know that. They're, they see you eating the meat of the, of the, uh, offered to idols, and they begin to think that you condone many gods like they do. They're ignorant about that. They're a weaker brother. Verse 5, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us, there is but one God, uh, God the Father, from whom all things come, uh, came, and for whom, uh, whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things come, and through whom we live. Now we know that. Uh, we, Paul and we, uh, the stronger brothers, we know that, but not everyone knows that, is Paul's point. And you don't make an issue out of something uh, when you're dealing with a weaker brother. You don't come into confrontation and argumentation with him. You gently deal with him as you lead him out of that concept. All right. Uh, did you know that Corinth there was... Uh, that some, uh, there were some brethren that didn't know there's only one God. They didn't know that. Uh, we allow them in our fellowship believing in more than one God. Look at what Paul said in verse 7. Now, now get the point now. We allow him into our fellowship believing in more than one God. Now we'll deal with that misconcept later on, but not haughtily. We'll deal with it from the basis of love because we love him. We're concerned about him. And we won't just jump on him and pounce on him and destroy him. All right. He says in verse 7, but not everyone knows this. Knows what? That there's one God and one Lord. They don't know that. Not everybody knows that. And so they had in their fellowship uh, that uh, this concept there's more than one God. And you're going in and off eating meats offered to these idols, these other gods. Verse 7, not everyone knows that some people are still so 
accustomed to idols that when they eat such meats, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since then, uh, and since uh, their conscience is weak, it, it is defiled. But food does not bring us to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. So it's really not that important, is it? But don't destroy a brother over it. So Paul is dealing with the stronger brother, his behavior. Notice what and who he says it is to in verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. So that weaker brother still thinks that idols still uh, represents a god. And why is he quit eating that meat? Why is he to quit eating that meat then? Because it represents a god, not the true god, you see. But does the stronger brother have the liberty to eat the meat? Well, yeah, he does. Verse 9. He has a right to eat that meat because he understands. And so eating, verse 7, wouldn't make you worse or better, would it? Because you have knowledge. Just because you have knowledge. But what about the weaker brother? He don't have the knowledge he needs there. And you can destroy him. Verse 10. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be uh, emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? And so this weaker brother, and now we know he's a brother, right? We, we know that. He's a weaker brother, though. So this weaker brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge, by your astute knowledge. You destroy a man's faith. You have no love for him. You don't care. You just want to show off what you know. You just want to uh, expel out with venom what you think you know. And so it's uh, our knowledge is uh, to be governed by the, on the basis of love. Uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but freedom is a terrible responsibility, is what that text says. We always think freedom is a privilege. Uh, very seldom do we think of it as a responsibility. The stronger brother would see he is free not to... He's free to eat that meat. And if I'm free to eat it, I'm free not to eat it also, aren't I? I have that freedom too, don't I? Not to eat it. And and what's love going to tell me? Well, sure, you got the right to eat it, but don't eat it to the destruction of your brother. If you love God, you, you love your brother. You love your neighbor. And so very seldom do we view freedom as a freedom not to do something because we're quick to remind somebody, I've got a right to do this. This is my freedom. Well, not if it's going to destroy a brother whom Christ died for. And so Paul says, 
<clears throat> if you add love to knowledge, what will knowledge tell you? Do it. You have a right to do it. Is that what it'll tell you? What will love tell you to do? Maybe it sh uh, I shouldn't eat it. That's what love will tell you. The only freedom that I think is absolutely effective is freedom to deny all your freedoms. In other words, a man who loves his brother will give up his freedoms for that brother. He won't just stand on his knowledge and destroy him. That's the one thing that destroys a lot of congregations. And I know some right now that's in trouble over that very thing. They think they know something when they don't. And what they know is not governed from the basis of love. And boy, they're going to make their point and they're going to, they're going to demand that somebody listen to them because they just know they're right and they're going to push it to if it kills the whole congregation. They don't care. They'll go away saying, see, Maud, didn't I tell you those people were idiots? That's not love. That's not love speaking or acting. And so, uh, the only freedom that I think is absolutely effective is freedom to deny all your freedoms. I believe that the only essential freedom uh, to Christian endeavor is the freedom to surrender all my freedoms. And so freedoms make you pretty responsible, don't they? Though I'm uh, free, and we're going to study this in chapter 9, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself everybody's slave to win as many as possible. That's my job. That's our job. That's what we exist for. We don't exist to be going around like we was shell answer man, ready with all the proper answers and we're going to push it. We're going to stand there and defend the faith. No, that's not defending the faith. That's destroying the faith. The defense of the faith, again, <coughs> comes through knowledge, all right, but it comes from the basis of love. Well, what's the freedom that Paul exercised? The freedom to make himself a slave. I don't have to be your slave. You don't have to be mine. But because of our love for God, and consequently it, that love brings us to love our neighbor as ourselves, and out of that love we kind of tender toward those out here in the lost world, aren't we? We have a, a heartfelt feeling for them because we love them. And we'd like to help them. We'd like to bring them into the proper knowledge. But it, don't, it doesn't result from debates and, and all of that kind of pushing yourself as though you were some kind of a smart ass. It don't work that way. It works out of love. So only a free, uh, free man can make himself a slave. This is not simple stuff because we're in America and have always believed that if you're free, you need never to make yourself anybody's slave. Uh, brethren have said, uh, well, I'll serve people, but I'll never be anybody's slave. 
Well, you've missed the whole point with that attitude. You've missed the whole point. Uh, surely they don't mean that because only slaves get to go to heaven. That's the whole point. Only slaves are going to go to heaven. Those who, out of the love of God, sees their self indebted to all men. And because of that, they, they give themselves into slavery to other men. To the congregation where they worship. They give themselves. They don't go there to get honor and glory and somebody to pin a badge on them as though they were somebody. That's not the purpose of it at all. But you have the freedom to make yourself a slave. Now that sounds paradoxical, doesn't it? But that's the reality of it. Uh, and that's what Jesus become. Read Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5 sometime. Well, somebody's going to turn over there, so somebody read it. Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind be in you. What mind, Paul? What are you talking about here? What mind are you talking about? Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who, although he was God and on equality with God, he thought it not a thing of robbery to be equal with God, because of that he surrendered his right to be God and he came and humbled himself uh, how's the verse read in the likeness of men in the likeness of men huh in the likeness of men Yeah. In the likeness of men. Yeah, he become in the likeness of man. He made himself a slave, didn't he? He didn't have to, did he? No. There, I don't see no beauty about any one of us that would cause him to come down here and do what he did. I don't see any worth in us that he would do that. But he did. Because he saw a worth that we uh, will only understand on the other side of eternity. But the thing that draws us is that love. And we're to expel that love to others as he did. That's what we're to learn from the life of Christ. <coughs> uh, so Paul is dealing with something more than uh, whether I'm going to eat this meat sacrifice to an idol, isn't he? He's dealing with how I'm to go. Uh, I'm going to go. Uh, how I'm going to deal with this weaker brother, who is scripturally wrong, but not eternally significantly wrong. You, you, did you catch what I said? He's scripturally wrong, but he's not eternally uh, significantly wrong. We'll see him in heaven. What we don't understand a lot of times is that there's a law of pardon from sin and induction into the kingdom. And of course, to make the story short, we're not studying that, so let's make it short. That comes by way of our faith obedience in the baptistry. There's where the old man dies and the new man raises. Romans 6, 3 through 6. 
And so here is what constitutes a child of God. Oh, but he's got all these wrong ideas in his head. That's right. And because he loves God, if he does, and he loves the truth, he will be hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and the Lord said he'd be filled. He will because you'll see him in Bible class. You'll see him in worship because he's eager and anxious to learn, to grow, to develop as he should. And, and so that's what constitutes a brother. Not that he knows everything. So, uh, so Paul's dealing with something more than uh, whether I'm going to eat this meat sacrificed idols. He's dealing with how I'm going to deal with the weaker brother who is scripturally wrong, but not eternally significantly wrong. Uh, he's called, uh, could a fellow go to heaven as a weaker brother? And that's the question you and I have to answer. A weaker brother can go to heaven. Oh, but Merle, he believed in premillennialism and the Bible is opposed to that. It doesn't matter. He went to heaven because he hadn't had time for God to teach him out of that. But yet he's walking with God, 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light, in the truth of God's word, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. That's fellowship me with God, you with God. We have fellowship. And along the way, in that fellowship, the last of that verse says, and the blood of Christ continually cleanses us. And so I have a life because of the blood of Christ. And I, I can walk as I'm learning, as I'm growing, as I'm developing, as little boys do in their maturity to manhood. And I'm walking with the Father. And He's teaching me. He's uh He's uh, working with me. But I'm his son with all of my ignorance. So can a weaker brother go to heaven? Yeah, he can. <laughs> Sometimes we get the idea, if he don't believe just like I do, if he don't know every stuff, he ain't going to make it to heaven. <laughs> That's no, no truth in that at all. All right. So these are questions that need to be asked. Well, is this a brother or a non-brother? Paul's discussing our love toward a brother who in some instance is a weaker brother, but he's a brother nonetheless. How do you get to be a son of God? Well, you see, I think a, a lot of us uh, is scared of God because we think our relationship with him is based on knowledge. Oh, we we gotta go every, we gotta know everything or we ain't gonna make it. No, that ain't the case at all. Uh, whereas we find out our relationship is built on his love for us. That's what it's built on. I have relation with God in my ignorance because he loved me. And he's willing to walk with me, and I'm willing to walk with him. And along the way he's gonna teach me, isn't he? I'm gonna learn, I'm gonna grow. Is God a good teacher? Well, he made us, and if anybody knows how to reason with Merle or Jack or Jill, it's God. And he did through the scriptures. He had them written so that we could understand them. 
That's what Paul said in Ephesians. Whereby when you read, you may understand the mystery. All right, so uh, our relationship, uh, you and me as a stronger brother and a weaker brother, we're both built on his love for us. That's the first thing that a person should be taught as he's still dripping from the baptistry is that your relationship to God is built upon your love for him and his love for you. That's what it's based on right there. It's not based on how, how smart-ass you are, how much you know, how much you think you know. It's not based on that. Now that ought to cause us to, to love this weaker brother, shouldn't it? Uh, do we love first, or does he love first? Does God love first? First John 4, verse 19. We love Him, why? Because He first loved us. Isn't that how love uh, is uh, transmitted? And so, why will this weaker brother listen to me? Because he sees that I show the love of God to him. I first love Him, and He loves me because I had I had regard for him. I loved him. He's my brother. And so the first thing I need to know as a uh, brand new Christian is that God loves me. The second thing I need to know is do I love him? Now, there is that part of man that wants God's love, but they don't want to love Him. They're selfish. They're self-centered. And they'll take anything that's free. There's people in the church that have no love for their brother, their weaker brother. When he leaves, they say, yeah, that's fitting. Yeah, well, good riddance. Oh, no, no, no. If he's in rebellion, that's a different thing. But if he leaves because I offended him over the truth uh, and didn't show him proper love, where I'm able to teach him out of that ignorance, then I'm at fault. All right, look again at verse 3. The man who loves God is known by God. not what he knows only. But he's got to know enough to be known by God. You remember the covenant in, Je in Jeremiah 31, 31-34? As God announced the day when He would make a new covenant with Israel, what did He say about that new covenant? They'll all know Me from the least to the greatest. Well now, did that mean that they understand everything about the planets and the stars and the moon and the sun and everything and uh, how to make the best whiskey or whatever. I just throw that in there. We, we think that sometimes. But uh, Paul says that uh, we're known by God if we love Him. Uh, and if we love our brother, we're known by God. Uh, the man who knows God is known by God. Now, 
uh, it's not what he knows only, but he's got to know enough to be known by God. And that knowing God is recognizing the fact that he loves us. And don't you know a person who is humble enough to acknowledge that? He's going to know, well, what, what does he require of me to be a son? And then we can tell him that. He, he won't argue with it, will he? Uh, he that knows enough to love God is known by God. That's what that says in verse 3. I think the guy's love for God is before the water. And it is. Before he goes into the baptistry. He knows something about God. He knows of God's love. Somebody has probably quoted to him or told him in other words, like John 3.16 says, For God so loved that he gave his only begotten Son. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish. God don't want us perishing, but have everlasting life. So, I'm... Uh, 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 so in your personal work in teaching Jesus, uh, you need to stress the love of God. So where do you, uh, let me just get off track here a little bit. Where do you begin to teach the truth? It says there's only one church. No, no, no. It's true there's only one church. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 teaches that. But is that where you begin? Oh, but you got to be baptized. Is that where you begin? You begin with the love of God. And you don't tell them like I'm going to tell you, but you have to convey to them that as ugly as you are <laughs> and as worthless in life as you are, God loves you to the nth degree. He's not willing that any man should perish. And so you bring a person to the altar of understanding about love. And it's from love. Love is that blossom that opens up the scriptures. Love is that thing that causes them and compels and constrains them to want to do what pleases God. But it begins with love, doesn't it? And it took me 80 years to learn what I'm fixing to tell you. And it won't take you that long to remember if you see any value in it. But I come to see how you teach someone the Bible. You began where God began. Where did God begin to teach us about Him? Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that's where you began. Does God know how to begin with someone? Yeah. Well, shouldn't we be smart enough? It took me 80 years to figure this out. But it dawned on me just not too long ago. Just like that. If you're teaching someone, you began. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so he comes in confrontation of the love of God. And you can teach him, can't you? And you can deal, you deal with a weaker brother in that same way. 
with a ginger, gingerly, tenderly, uh, ardent love for a brother. Regardless of how ugly he is, or regardless of how out of step he is, uh, I've said this before, and, and I like saying it because I think it expresses the extreme. But if the biggest whore in Benton City comes through those doors every Sunday, I will greet her with the utmost respect and dignity because she's created in the image of God. Yeah, but she's a whore. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because love will reach out to her in her, her malady, her problem. She's wrong. And love will reach out to her. It won't go with the haughtiness and the arrogance of just knowledge. Get out of here, you're a whore. Well, sure, she knows that what she is, and you do too. But you love her because she was created in the image of God. And so you do your best to find opportunity through being friendly to her, whatever. But if the biggest whore comes through that door, Every Sunday for a thousand years, and I live that long to preach for a thousand years, I will greet her whether she obeys the gospel or not. That's between her and God. Not between, I'm not in there at, at, at all. I'm just a messenger. And if she comes to hear the message, I'll preach it to her with a smile and with hopes that she'll obey the gospel. And I think that's what Paul's telling us about a weaker brother. We shouldn't try to teach dogmatically. That's the whole point. It should be, uh, here's what I think. Uh, what do you think? You invite them onto the equality with you. You don't stand as, I'm the teacher. I'm, I'm the great knowledge. And uh, listen to what i got to say or get out of here. No, that ain't the way it is at all. Even God... Uh, doesn't deal with man that way. Isaiah 1 verse 18 God spoke to Israel and he said come let us reason together. Is God willing to reason with man? Yeah he is. Does God plead with man? Yeah he does. Does God show his love? He first showed that didn't he? And he continues to show it in the creation in the provisions of life in every way. So, uh, so I don't want to kill this weaker brother with my knowledge. So I believe every person ought to be free and that's what Paul's saying here. The stronger brother sometimes bound by strength as the weaker brother is bound by weakness and both of them need to be free by the love of God. And so the stronger brother will recognize his wrong tactics and the weaker brother will come to recognize his wrong practice and they come bonded together in love because of love. Uh, what, uh, what you know doesn't have uh, to govern you uh, your love for God and the brother ought to govern you. That's the governing factor. It's uh, And sometimes 
that may put you in a position of being looked upon by people as foolish for having given up so much. And now and then, uh, then more than now, very, very seldom you may have to even uh, violating a rule or two. Jesus did, didn't he? Uh, when he plucked the ears of corn, and when he healed on the Sabbath day on purpose, he done these things on purpose. He had a reason behind them. Uh, even if I did violate the law in my uh, process of gaining a brother, who's the law made for? Who's the law made for? He doesn't say he died. Uh, he did. But he said, even if I did violate the law to these Jews, he said, even if I did violate the law, the Sabbath day was made for man. Now, he didn't violate it, but he said, in essence, even if I did violate it, you Jews don't understand. Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath under that system back then. For the law was made for man. And so, so what if I violate the law of the Sabbath? Law uh, was made for man and not man for the law. And I'm trying to get us to understand that God is more interested in the weaker brother than he is in your doctrinal correctness about these uh, there being one God and one Lord and uh, that idol uh, that's nothing the ultimate uh, the, ult uh, the ultimate to God is brother that's what's ultimate to him and if that's ultimate to God then that needs to be ultimate to me shouldn't it absolutely and so I'm going to deal with him very tenderly. And by the way, verse 12 says, When you sin against your brother in this way, uh, and I, I don't know, I was sinning against a brother. I didn't know that. Well, he's got, uh, uh, he's got destroyed because of my knowledge, because he went into the idol's temple and ate. And it was against his conscience to eat. But he ate because of his respect for me. There's a danger in respecting a brother so much that too much respect, that's what Paul is saying here, love honors, be concerned about it, about uh, uh, that the most knowledge of, of differences is not going to matter eternally. If it were that important, it would be clearer, wouldn't it? Uh, I sin against the brother when I cause him, because of his regard for me, to violate his conscience. If I go into the idol's temple uh, in the first century, knowing that I'm going to take the weaker brother in there with me, and his conscience is against eating meat sacrificed to idols, I sin against him. If I know that he knows he ought not to go in there, in his mind it's a sin to go in there, but he respects me so much that he goes in there with me. I've destroyed him. 
I've sinned against him. And therefore, I've sinned against Christ. Because he died for him. So, if I knowledgeably cause a brother to violate his conscience, I've sinned against Christ. Verse 13. If what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again uh, so, uh, so that I will not cause him to fall. Whatsoever it takes for a brother not to fall, that's what I'll do. Uh, even though i got a right to do it. Whatever I have to quit doing, I'm not talking about a guy getting uh, uh, contentious about that. I'm talking about causing a brother to fall. And so the total issue here is love uh, for him. Uh, if it were your son, what would you do? If it were you, what would you do? That's the golden rule, isn't it? Love him with the golden rule. Love. Now there's a law of love, a rule of love involved in everything that was said uh, here by Paul. It gets down to the application of that in the American, uh, uh, in any environment, but particularly in the American environment we live in. Number one, be aware of the weaker conscience. Know that some people don't know all that you know, in spite of how little that you may know. In spite of the rule book that I know, not everybody knows all I know. And so there's conscience about some things that can't be as strong as mine. How about smoking? How about social drinking? I think those things are wrong because of the fruit that the tree bears uh, of smoking and drinking. But how about wearing a hat whenever prayer is going to be offered? A lot of those issues uh, that I just mentioned, uh, eternally significant issues, are they? Perhaps and perhaps not. Number two, honor the weaker conscience. Let him have the right to be the weaker conscience. Honor it. Honor the weaker brother. Not honoring the fact that he's weak, but honoring the weaker brother. And that's all of 1 Corinthians 12 is going to say our weaker members. We adorn them uh, with more beauty. And the stronger members... Uh, But we, we, we uh, adorn the weaker brother with beauty. We don't feel like there's any need for adornment for the stronger brother. And that's the correct way to do it. But in the church, what do we guide the best ro robes to? What, who do we give the best robes to? The stronger brother. We pay more honor to the stronger brother, don't we, than we do the weaker we write them off, don't we? 
we say in our mind of judgment, oh, I have nothing to do with him. In your mind, you just killed a man, a woman whom Christ died for. You just destroyed him. You see no worth in them at all. Because they got problems that I don't have. And because of that, I don't have nothing to do with them. That's not God's attitude at all. How do he deal with you? And you're gracious you're gracious you're you're uh, you have you're grateful for it, aren't you? How God dealt with you. Can't you deal with the brother according to the golden rule? Do unto others as you'd have others do unto you. You know, incidentally, I get kind of tickled listening to all them smart people on TV. <laughs> Dealing with the problems in public school and all those issues uh, that we have in life's way. And do you realize schools used to teach the golden rule? Do, very simple. Do unto others, you'd have others do unto you. And do you know if that had been taught up through these years, we'd have a whole different culture than we got now? And there wouldn't be as many people killing one another and fighting one another and running down and kicking people in the head on the street and for, that they don't even know. But see, we gave that up because we didn't want religion being taught in the public school. <laughs> you see how stupid we really are? We turn up our nose at the very thing that could save us and deliver us in just one simple statement. If we realized just a few simple statements from the Bible, America would be different. One of them is stated in the Psalms. The very first verse says, Except the Lord guard the city, the watchman watches in vain. Wouldn't you like to be able to expound on that, quote it and expound it on TV, before the world, before all these wise men that's trying to figure out how to make peace amongst us and amongst the world and everything else? Except the Lord's precepts are in the minds of the people. That's what it says. They're going to destruction. That's what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so the verse just simply says, Except the Lord guard the city with his principles and precepts. The watchman. You can hire all the watchmen you want, the psychiatrists, the psychologists, uh, the analysts, uh, the socialists. You can hire all of them you want. But except the Lord guard the city, the watchman watches in vain. That city's coming down. Number two, honor the weaker conscience. Let him have the right to be the weaker conscience. Honor it. Uh, honor the weaker brother. You don't honor the fact that he's weak. But you honor the weaker brother. Uh, we don't feel there's any need for adornment for them, for the, for the stronger brother. And that's the correct way to do it. But in the church, who do we give the best robes to? The stronger brother. We are to honor the weaker conscience. And that's what Paul is praying out. I'm to have more concern over the weaker brother than I am the stronger brother. Who do you have? Who do you? Who are you concerned about? 
if you and your family's in a in a boat and one of them falls overboard, it's the one that fell overboard, isn't it? It's the one that needs help. Number three, avoid sinning against the weaker conscience. And I put conscience there, but brother would be a better word there, the weaker brother. Uh, Cause who has the weaker conscience? The brother. Now watch out for uh, this temptation. Watch out for this uh, uh, conclusion, which is ungodly. The stronger is better than the weaker. Is there any advantage in being strong, stronger? Not in every, uh, not in every way. Are the stronger then better than the weaker? No, not in any way. Now that's a paraphrase of Romans 3.1 and Romans 3.9. Uh, in dealing with the Jews. And so in being stronger, brother, uh, well... But does that make him any better than the weaker brother? No, in no way. But there is a very strong temptation because we're still operating on the knowledge principle. We equate strength as better than only and only advantageous. It only gives me advantage. It only gives me privilege. It does not make me in any way better than any person in all the world because until I realize that everybody in the world is my kind of people I've made the first uh, realization I need to make Jesus came to us in what likeness what likeness did he come to us in Hebrews 4.15 sinful flesh that's the likeness he came to us didn't say he had sin it came, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, as all men do. Uh, he's, so he's what? He's made in every point, the scripture says. How? Like we are. And so there's only one point to that. It's us and not us and them. There is no separation between the weaker and the stronger when it comes to salvation or uh uh, to paying honor to there, there's no difference but like we started out saying a while ago we like to give the robe of honor to the strong man isn't that sick uh, <clears throat> so uh, as we come to a close on chapter 8 and we're getting there uh, there's or at least the first part of chapter 8. There's principles for dealing, uh, deciding action in the lawful realm. On the part of the mature person in regard to lawfulness, number one, the principle of excess. Excess uh, is this activity or this habit, is the activity that I've got or the habit necessary or is it merely an uh, an extra that is not important uh, and in Hebrews 12 verse 1 Paul talks about 
love lays aside because he says lay aside all uh, somebody got Hebrews 12 1 therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Okay, he's talking about running the race. He said, let us lay aside those things that hinder us. Have you ever thought, sit down and thought what hinders you? And a sin that so easily besets you? We all have one. Or maybe two, maybe three. And so, uh, And so number one is uh, the principle of excess. Uh, is this going to cause me to practice some things that maybe uh, are not strong in themselves but would be uh, accepted things? Number two, is it expedient? In other words, the thing that I practice, will it build up the brother? And number three, emulation. Will it make me look like Christ? Because that's what I'm, he's supposed to see in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Paul said in Colossians. And number four, example. Will it provide the things that I do? Will it provide something for someone else to follow? And number five, evangelism. Will it reach the lost? Number six, edification. Will it build uh, people up and number seven exaltation will it glorify and praise God now those are the seven rules uh, that love would require of you and me now if I want to do those studies uh, pray tell why I want to do it that's my life isn't it that's what my life is about it's not about uh, hallelujah I'm saved now just get out here and do whatever you want to do. You are immediately responsible to others to love them, to do your best to help them, uh, understand and deal with the weaker brother. That's the whole point. A lot of people see Christianity as, uh, and maybe it's because of the way we teach things, but oh, they, uh, you baptize, you're saved, you're God's people. And people get that idea, and that's true. But you're also one who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, and and you realize your discrepancy, your problem. But no, they get the idea, I'm saved, and that's all I need. I don't need to go to church services. I don't need to do this. To, I, I want my freedom. I don't, I don't have no love for God. I just want His salvation. Boy, that's a pretty ugly attitude, but it's expressed by a lot of people that claim to be Christian. They don't come out and say it in those words, but that's what's going on in them. They think life was just made for their little plumage and they're to enjoy life and no frustration and I'm not putting myself in harm's way for nobody. I'm, I don't want no argument. I, I just want to be free. Well, you become everybody's slave when you obey the gospel. Isn't that 
why Christ came to this earth, isn't that what he done? And he's our example. Then we're responsible one to another. And I am doubly responsible to the weaker brother. The stronger brother, he, I'm responsible to him too, but uh, only if I can help him. But to the weaker brother, yes, I have an obligation there to help him. Not to run his life, not tell him uh, what he must do, but to be there to aid him and definitely not put a stumbling block before him. That's what life is all about. Life in Christ. Uh, let's stop right there. Time's up. <coughs> I hope that you're getting the message here. I've wandered around <coughs> here and there in it. But Paul is dealing with love for a weaker brother, isn't he? The kind of love that Christ showed to us. And we're to emulate that to others. That's our job. But somehow, maybe it's in public school, I don't know, maybe it comes to us in many ways. Yeah, I think it does. But we're kind of taught that we're special, that life owes me. And uh, that's why people get upset when they have a problem or a wreck. Why did God do this to us? And it's the most stupid thing that ever was. I came up on a wreck one time. There was three cars totaled out at an intersection. And there was also a motorcycle. And I went back and found the motorcycle. He bounced off them cars back down the road from which he came 50 feet. His motorcycle looked like an accordion. And his body did so. His face was dug in the dirt. I went to roll him over so he could breathe because it was dark and I didn't know he was dead. He was still real hot though. That happens at the moment when you die. I rolled him over and it was like rolling a rag because uh, he was broken all to pieces. Anyway, there was other people killed in it. And there was one young lady who survived but she had a broken arm. And when we tried to help her out of the car, she's in tears and she is erratic. Why did God let this happen to us? And you could smell alcohol. You could see that she was drunk and everybody else was drunk. <laughs> All of a sudden, it's God's fault. You see, we get to thinking that life owes us something. It don't owe you nothing. It don't owe you nothing. You're here by the grace of God. You ate today from his table. You didn't make those carrots and peas and beef. You're the recipient of his provisions. How many is grateful for that? Well, life owes me. <laughs> and carry on like you were somebody. <laughs> but God sees a worth in us, a value. And he's... He says very clearly, I'm not willing that any man should perish. Well, Lord, what about Dahmer? You know, he was eating people in his icebox. Uh, yeah, that man too. He loves him. 
And so you and I need to come to grips with this idea of love. I may not like the way you dress. I may not like the way uh, your conversations, and I may not like your hobbies or what you do for entertainment, but I love you as a brother because Christ died for you. That put a value on you. <laughs> you was worth the Son of God because he gave himself for you. What is today? The 29th? Uh, 12, 29, 21, got it. 